Thank you for listening to a Praise Chapel Kingman podcast. If you need any information about our church, or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at praisechapelkingman.com. Now this morning, as we uh, get into the Word of God, I just want to say to you, I really, really believe this morning that this word is for some very specific people in this place. I, I really believe it's for all of us. Don't misunderstand that. But I do believe for some in this place, this is going to revolutionize your life and your living. Um, as you look at our title page, it's, it's obvious what I'm going to preach about. Um, and I, I don't know that I can stress enough or I don't know that it could be understressed how important forgiveness is to every life. Listen to me, and and we're going to probably repeat this on several occasions. Forgiveness, forgiveness is one of the cornerstones of Christianity. Amen. Amen. And it's amazing to me that Christians completely misunderstand or have no idea what forgiveness really is all about. I read something a while back, when I say a while back, it's probably been within the last week or two, that just gripped my attention. It just gripped me. The man was writing an article, and he made a statement. He goes, he's lamenting in this article, and he says it's really become a frustrating point in his life to see how many Christians are unchanged in their Christianity. He says, it's amazing to me to see that people come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. They come to a church. They are regular churchgoers. Yet there is no appreciable difference between them in the church and those out of it. And he says, that's just amazing to me. He said, you know what, somewhere there should be a change. And what he said that gripped me is he says, much of Christianity is simply just skipping across the surface. That grips me because, you know, I have to ask myself first, is that what I'm doing? Am I just simply skipping across the surface and and not really getting into the meat of what God has for me and wants with me? And so as I consider this subject, this is a subject that seems in my ministry to come up often over and over through counseling and particularly in marriages, This is something that comes up over and over again. And what I see in it is I see how many, (coughs) if I can say this, Christians that are just skipping by this. And this is something that we really need to get on the inside of our lives. And I want to ask you a question this morning that I believe affects every single person in this room today. It's a question that's common to all of us, and it's, this is the question. What do you do when someone hurts you? Now, don't answer it. You know, there's always somebody that wants to yell out an answer. Don't do that. But consider this. Think about it. What do you do when you're offended? Because there's not a person in this room today that has not at some level or another been offended. Even if it's minor, just a minor offense, like you got bumped into in a line somewhere and you went, hey, watch out, watch what you're doing. That's an offense, okay? 
can be that minor or it can be something horrific. All of us at some level or another have been offended. How should we respond when somebody offends us? How should we respond when somebody insults us or disappoints us or wounds us or ignores us or takes advantage of us? It's not an abstract question. It's a very real question because it happens all the time. And your response to those things really is important in your Christianity. Because you don't have to be around people very long before you realize that you're going to get hurt. Oh, yeah. Amen? Amen? So let me ask you some questions. Have you ever been misunderstood? Sure. Have you been let down? Yeah. Have you been verbally attacked? Have you been falsely accused? Have you been insulted? Ignored? Wounded? Betrayed? Abused? And the list could go on and on this morning. Well, if that is you, if you were one of the ones that said yes quietly under your breath or out loud, then you're in good company because there is no one on this earth this morning that hasn't experienced this. The truth is we live in a world where people hurt one another all the time. And particularly in this, this we, 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 I say this with some caution and even some uh, um, regret. People in church are getting hurt by people in church. Are, are you hearing what I'm saying? See, in life, we will experience many moments when we are tempted to become bitter because of the way others have treated us. Listen to what I'm saying. We live in a world where hurt is inevitable. We live in a world, even in Christianity, where people get hurt. And the, the life temptation, the temptation of life, is that in those moments, we're tempted to become bitter because of the ways people have treated us. And we must, this morning, learn to forgive. We must learn to forgive those who have wronged us instead of letting Bitterness take a root in our hearts. Why? Because God this morning is calling us to do great things and we cannot let the actions or the words of a few people sidetrack us from what God has planned for our lives. Let me say this to you. This is not in my notes. You, no matter who you are, you are significant. You may not believe you are, you may have been told that you're not significant, but I can tell you that that is a lie as far as Jesus is concerned and God the Father, Holy Spirit is concerned. You are significant. Your life matters. Your life counts. You are a part of a body called the body of Christ and there is a place for you and there is a function for you and without you, we are weaker for it. (laughs) And the devil's goal today is to separate you from that body or at minimum, make you ineffective in it. 
Are you hearing what I'm saying? And the reason that he's done that is because if we can get enough people ineffective, if there's enough people that are sidelined, if there's enough people that have taken their ball and gone home, so to speak, then what happens is the church at large becomes greatly ineffective and the plan of God is greatly hindered. Can you say amen? So what I want you to do this morning is I want you to look at our text. It's Hebrews chapter 12. I'll have it on the screen. Verse number 14 and 15. And I'll be reading from the New King James Version. The Bible says this, Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now stop right there for a moment. That is a heavy statement. I'm going to read again. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. That should arrest our thinking. Pursue peace and be holy. Pursue peace and allow holiness to rise. Pursue peace and be separate. And what is meant by separate is that your actions, that your lifestyle, that the way you conduct your life looks different than the way the world conducts it. And he says, without that, no one can see the Lord. And he goes on, he says, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Now, as I considered the abundance of issues that can often work just under the surface of our lives, I found that there is probably none as crippling and paralyzing as the cycle of bitterness. I want you to think about this. Have you ever had a situation in your life seemingly come out of nowhere? I mean, whether it's, a, whether it's some sort of hindrance or whether it's a temptation or whether it's, you know, just some sort of thing. All of a sudden, you're kind of looking at yourself. Uh, you're standing outside of yourself, so to speak, and, and you're looking going, what are you doing? Why are you talking that way? Why are you? Re- and you're like, where did that come from? Well, let me tell you where that comes from. It comes from stuff that's just beneath the surface of your life. See, as Christians, we are very content to be fruit pickers. What we like to do is identify things in our life that we don't like, and then we like to pick the fruit of those things in hopes that picking the fruit will kill the tree. Well, picking all the apples off an apple tree has never killed an apple tree. All it's actually done is made it a better producer of apples. But what happens in Christianity is we go, oh, I got to get rid of that. So we pick all the fruit. We make all these exterior changes, but nothing really changes because the inside remains the same. And it's from the inside that fruit. See, the apple tree is an apple tree, not because it has apples on it. An apple tree is an apple tree because the nature inside it is an apple tree. It bears fruit based on its nature. Come on now. I'm going to help you today. It's got a good ending, trust me. It really gets real positive. It's going to get a little tough for a minute, but that's okay. We're going to have fun, all right? And so what we've got to understand is we see this is why this is why skipping along the surfaces of Christianity is so dysfunctional because all it does is just pick fruit. 
And then, we, then we're wondering, where is all this stuff coming from? Well, it's nature. It's, it's the internal. It's the inside. And so one of those issues that I have found is very crippling and paralyzing on the inside of Christians is called the cycle of bitterness. And bitterness is something that every individual in this room has experienced to some degree or another. It affects the young and the old, the rich and the poor, the educated and un- <clears throat> uneducated. It is a part of the human condition. Listen to what I'm saying. And I found that one of the quickest ways to hinder our lives from the life of God is for us to allow a root of bitterness to grow in our hearts. Now, I want you to look at our text for a minute. Put that text back up on the screen, if you will. He says this. He goes, looking carefully. Now, let's stop there just for a moment. What could that mean? It means pay attention. Have you ever dealt with children? You know, when my children were young and I was raising my kids, um, you know what? Kathy and I are in a great place in life. Our daughter, a few months ago, about six months ago, turned 20. We have no teenagers anymore. (laughs) Hallelujah. Amen. They're all adults. They're all moving on. Thank you, Jesus. Hey, empty nester is not a syndrome in our house. Amen. We... We love it. I love my kids. I really do. I love them at their house. I really, really do. And, and uh, no, that's not true. I love my kids. They're all coming over to my house today. But the, the reality is, the reality is when I was raising my kids, one of the things that I had to tell them on a regular basis was pay attention. Pay attention. Andy was famous for putting his drink on the edge of the table. It's like you've got 50 yards of table and you're going to put your drink right there. No, no, put it right there. Because you swinging your arms like this and not paying attention is going to end in tragedy. But I'm, I'm sorry, Daddy, I didn't mean to do it. Now, I know you didn't mean to do it. I know that you didn't wake up and say, I'm going to make Dad mad today by spilling my drink. But the reality is because you refused to pay attention, you became vulnerable to your action. So God's saying the same thing to his kids. He's going, look carefully, pay attention. Right. Why? So you don't fall short. That phrase, fall short, it literally means in the Greek, it means to hinder or to break the flow. And look what he says. Just be careful, pay attention, so you don't hinder or break the flow of the grace of God. What is that? It's the ability of God. He said, look at, pay attention so that you don't break the flow of the ability of God. Why? Because you are vulnerable to a root of bitterness <coughs> that will cause trouble. That word trouble is an interesting word. It means to crowd or to mob. See, it's interesting that the Bible uses this phraseology, the root of bitterness, because you know what weeds, anybody got any weeds? If you got weed, I got, I was telling the first service, I got weeds in my backyard that are so big that they're learning to talk. <laughs> the other day I walked out into my backyard and it says, hey bro, go back inside. <laughs> it's like, those are big weeds. It's time to put some poison on them. You know what I'm saying, Shannon? I'm, I'm, I'm like, you know what? That's, that's a tough weed right there. But it's not always amazing. Isn't it amazing how fast they grow? Weeds just grow. Oh, yeah. They, I mean, they could grow a foot in a night. It's like, what? I just pulled all these weeds, and now I got foot-tall weeds in my backyard. One night. 
I didn't even water them. I water my grass and I water my flowers and they're dying. And it's, anyway, that, that's another sermon. But see, when weeds grow, what they do is they crowd and they mob what is good. That's what bitterness does. He says, be careful unless you hinder or break the flow of God's ability in your life because you are vulnerable for this bitterness to crowd and mob out what God is doing in you. See, when you look at the scripture that way, it's like, wow, that makes a lot of sense. So I want to take a few minutes of your time if I can, and I want to look at this universal problem that is really disabling more people than I can count. I want to look at the cycle of bitterness first. See, the cycle of bitterness begins with the pain of being wounded, hurt, brokenhearted. So you don't have to live very long in life before you become the victim of some emotional pain. That's just a part of life. We live in a harsh world, folks. Every day, lives are being torn apart <coughs> by sin and by the fruit of a fallen world. Children are neglected. They're abused. Marriages are destroyed by anger and strife. Both men and women are being victimized by malicious, the maliciousness of hardened people. Lives are forever changed by the foolishness of immature individuals. And there's not a person in this building that has not experienced the pain of an emotional wound. We all have at some level or another. And the truth is, oftentimes our lives are formed. They are shaped by the hurts and the pains and the wounds that we experience. And I've learned that these wounds, oftentimes they motivate and fuel our actions. You know, one of the things over the years of counseling um, in anger management and counseling people that have been court-appointed over the years of doing that, one of the things that I learned pretty quickly is that people that demonstrate a type of anger that's like a flash in the pan, they're just, one minute they're calm, they're cool, they're collected, and all of a sudden, you know, they're just enraged. Oftentimes, more often than not, that kind of anger is being fueled by a hurt, by a wound, by something that's broken on the inside. And that's what's happening. And so these hurts, these wounds, these things in our life, they color our view. They cloud our thinking and they consume our energy. But they do more than that. They, because what happens is they literally become something that stays right in front of us. And let me tell you a little story. I'm going to take a little bit of a detour. Do you remember the story of Jacob when he was working for his father-in-law Laban? He made an agreement with Laban. He says, hey, you know what? Uh, I want my, you know, my inheritance here. And Laban says, okay, I'm going to give you all the weak and spotted and striped goats and sheep, right? Well, all of Laban's herd, there's only like two or three of those like that. So, so Jacob came up with an idea. He went out and he took sticks and he carved spots and he carved stripes into them. And he sat the, these sticks in front of the, of the, the place where the, 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 the lambs and the, and the goats and the sheep would drink and where they would mate. And so they would see this. And then what happened, there was a supernatural event all of a sudden, all these lambs and goats and these sheep, they were started having babies that were spotted and striped. <laughs> and what's the moral of that story? It's, it's really not so supernatural in the sense that you become what you pay attention to. Right. Yeah. 
And so when all of a sudden the hurt and the wounding of your life is forever in front of you, you literally become the guy that hurt you. There's a story of a father that he, 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 he said that he, he, he grew up in a home where his dad was very abusive. And he tells the story. He remembers the time when, 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 when his father um, um, became very abusive. He was playing football and he made a mistake. And his father came out of the stands and berated him in front of the whole team and all of the people. And he swore at that moment. He says, I will never become my father. Fast forward a few years down the road. His son now is playing football. And his son made a mistake. And before he knew it, he was running out of the stands, down to the field, and he was berating his son. And in that moment, he realized he became just like his father. And so what happens with hurts and wounds that go unforgiven, they stay in front of our face, and we become just like them. See, whether you're willing to admit it or not, these things are a part of your life. And you have been wounded. So the cycle goes on. It begins in hurt and then it moves into something we call resentment. Because something, when see, when unresolved hurt is left inside of us, things begin to work and we become susceptible to a thing called resentment. And you say, well, what is resentment? Resentment is the feeling, uh, it's the persistent feeling of ill will, of animosity, indignation, strife. It's that, it's that feeling of, 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 uh, that, that overwhelms you that says, I'm the victim here. Yeah. I can't believe people are doing this to me. And we've all felt the rise of resentment. And you say, how do I know if it's happening to me? The first thing that happens when you become resentful is you become defensive. Yep. And the reason is, is because resentment wants to protect And so in resentment, you begin to protect yourself and you begin to build a battle plan of defense. Amen. So now what happens, this thing's rising and it's like, got your number. And you go, you know what? I don't get mad. I get even. That's resentment. That's a statement that is squarely 100% rooted in resentment. Take a moment to consider the older brother in the story of the prodigal. You remember the story? The young brother comes home from this lifestyle of riotous living, wasted all his inheritance, and the dad sees it and embraces him, restores him, and then has a great big party. And the older brother comes in from the field, and the servants come and said, hey, your younger brother is home, and your dad's throwing a party, and the older brother is mad. He's mad. How dare him? Nobody ever threw a party for me. This is a, this is a hurt young man. He's, he's wounded. He's hurt. Now he's resentful. And notice something that he does. The father comes out and says, come on in, man. Come on to the party. He goes, I ain't going in. See, resentment will take you into isolation. What it does is it causes you to hide or it causes you to isolate and insulate from the ones that will actually help you. Because you, you, what's happening is you're going, I'm hurt. They hurt me. And now it's all about you. Yeah, yeah. 
He's filled with animosity. His feelings for his family were completely negative, and he begins to isolate, and he turns inward, and he's consumed with self. And he feels like, you know what? I can't believe they're doing this. And the problem is right here. Here's the problem. These feelings are very vivid, vivid, and they are very, very real, and they make a lot of sense. Because they're speaking to our brokenness. They're speaking directly to the wound. One man said this, resentment is like a fire that never goes out. Sometimes it seems that the flame is all but gone, but then the slightest breeze of stress or frustration or fear or disappointment. And the fires of resentment rage on. And once resentment is fully established, it gives way to anger, hostility, and malice. And anger is very often an emotional disability that, that, that's working against us. Now, there can be good anger. There, the Bible says to be angry, but don't sin. Anger is not the problem. It's what we do with the anger that is the problem. Can you say amen? amen. And anger that goes unchecked or undealt with if we if it's unresolved then it becomes toxic it literally becomes a poison that poisons our soul and rots our well-being it'll destroy relationships it will ruin careers it will tear down your health it will tear down your home your family and ultimately your peace anger has been called the chief saboteur of the mind and the leading cause of depression sickness accidents and loss of work and, and loss of financial stability in America today. Unresolved anger is often the cause of sin. A lot of people, because of unresolved anger, end up going back towards a sinful lifestyle because that's what's palatable when you're angry. Anger oftentimes separates us from God. It hardens our heart. And ultimately, it leaves us vulnerable. Listen to this verse of Scripture in Proverbs 25, 28. Listen. If you cannot control your anger, you are as helpless as a city without walls open to attack. What, what does that mean? See, back in the day, back when Proverbs was written, the cities had walls. <clears throat> what those walls were for was to protect the city from those that would attack and, and those that would pillage the city. And so the, the writer of Proverbs, he says, look at when you have uncontrolled anger, you're like a city without walls. You are vulnerable to any attack that would come. Amen. Anger tears down your walls that protect you. You think anger lies to you and says, I am your wall. But what it really has done is tore down the real wall that protects your life. And you become open to attack. Millions of people are living completely unaware that this emotional cancer is systematically stealing their lives away. Some people have been angry so long that they no longer know who they are. And once the choice is made to be angry, bitterness is the natural and logical outcome. And bitterness is a root that grows out of this anger and it's fueled by resentment that's sown in the soil of hurt. 
and it produces a cycle that affects us in every area of our life. And bitterness does not stay isolated. I would like to think that bitterness is just going to stay isolated to the area of our hurt. But see, when that root begins to grow, it has a taproot that goes deep. And then it has these arms that reach out into every area of your life. And it releases a poison that causes bitter fruit to grow. And that bitter fruit are things like this, skepticism and cynicism and sarcasm and criticism. People that are, people that are uh, 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 naturally or, or uh, habitually uh, skeptical. Those that are cynical. You've met people like this. These that are, are always sarcastic. I'm not talking about the, the occasional time in it. I'm talking about people that are always critical. You've met, they can't find the right thing on nothing. I mean, if you gave them a million dollars, they'd complain about the taxes. Okay, how about nothing? There's zero taxes on zip. How about that? Well, you know, they want 50% of that. Well, 500,000 is better than a poke in the eye with a raw carrot. I like that. You know, it's, it's amazing. They're, 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 they're critical. It's like, it's... Uh, I, 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 <laughs> oh, man. Criticism. <laughs> I gotta find out where I'm at in this thing. It's critical. We're, it's bitter fruit. It's bitter. It's 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 fruit from the root of bitterness. The result of the root of bitter, the cycle of bitterness at work in us, is we become demanding, overbearing, uneasy, unable to please, and mean spirited. Outwardly expressed, it tends to lead towards violently. Inwardly repressed, it becomes discouragement, depression, devastation. Yeah. And there's six things that bitterness will do in your life. I'll list them very quickly. Bitterness will destroy you spiritually. Bitterness will devastate you physically. It will damage you emotionally. It will divide your faith. It will defile your relationships. And it will deprive you of a blessing. And if you're ever going to break free of the cycle of bitterness, then you need to learn that forgiveness is the only way out. Amen. Listen, forgiveness is the foundation upon which all of our Christianity is found. Amen. And we need to pay attention to this because this is where we really have some trouble. We're, we're, you know, we're not so bad that we look at this bitterness thing and say, oh, I want to hang on to that. We don't want that. Where, where our trouble really lies is we just don't understand what forgiveness is. And so therefore, by default, when we refuse to forgive, that becomes the natural place. Okay? So I want you to listen to this scripture. It'll be on the screen. Luke chapter 17, verse number 1, 1 through 5. It says, Then he said to his disciples, this is Jesus speaking, It is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. Now listen, Jesus is acknowledging something. He's saying when there are two or more in a room, somebody's going to get offended. <laughs> listen to the words of Jesus. It is impossible that no offenses should come. See, I, my style of leadership, the kind of leader I am, is I like the idea of a team. 
I really do. I like, I like collaboration. I like working together. But here is the problem. While I think that is highly effective, and a team can always accomplish more than an individual because you have all of the resources on the table rather than just one, the problem with the team is everybody has an opinion. <laughs> and the problem is, is you are in a place where people can get offended. And Jesus is looking at his team, and he's going, it's impossible that you guys aren't going to get offended, because you're going to. You're going to. So he gives them a plan, and he says, it would be better for you if a millstone were hung around your neck, and you were thrown into the sea that you should offend one of these. In other words, what he's doing, he's saying, look it, I want you to understand that Offending somebody, just because I acknowledge that offense is a real issue, doesn't mean that you ought to give yourself to it. He's saying, look at, do everything you can to avoid the offense, but I know it's impossible that you, at some point you're going to offend somebody. And then he says this, it's, it's just an amazing thing that he does. He, he says this, he goes, so look at, Take heed to yourself. He's giving us some instruction. How do we do this? How do we avoid the offense? Take heed to yourself. In other words, get your emotional baggage controlled before you try to control someone else's emotional baggage. In other words, I want you to pay attention to you first. Take heed to yourself. What is your contribution to this problem. I remember, I don't know, it was a while back now, six, eight m- months ago, something like that. Kathy and I got into an argument at church. I know that's hard for you guys to believe because the truth is just Friday was our 33 year anniversary of our first date. Our first date was 33 years ago. We went and saw the movie Goonies. I took her to Pizza Hut. Your, your mom and dad are here, so I... I know. <laughs> I can't tell them I kissed you. But I did. I kissed her on her first date. Oh, yeah. After 32 years of marriage, I can actually admit that I kissed her. <laughs> we have three kids. I think they figured out we were probably kissing. Yeah. Anyway, that's another sermon. So we got into this fight. See, the reason I do that is because, see, now that, that takes the heat off the fight story. Because the other story, anyway. So we get into this fight, and, and Kathy gets in the car, and she's upset. And she, I said, what are you upset about? And she says, well, you know, some things happened in children's church, and I think I offended some people because I think I handled it wrong. And so immediately I kick into El Pastor mode, and, and I looked at her, and I, I said, well, why do you do that? I said, why don't you let me deal with that stuff? I'm really good at it. And by this point, we get, we get to, we get to uh, uh, the, the damn bar up here, and I look at her, and this is what I said. I, I looked at her, and I, I, I said, when are you going to learn? Wrong. I might as well have got out of the car and walked home. 
And she said, and this is her response to me. When are you going to learn? I don't need a pastor. I need you to be my husband. I don't need you to fix it. I need you to comfort me. And the fight went on. So we fought all the way until we got home and then it was quiet. And, and then we were kind of at home. And at some point at home, I don't know how long it was. I'd like to think it was within five minutes, but it was probably some other time frame than that. I, I came to grips with myself and I began to say, you know what, what was your contribution to this? What did you do, John? You can be mad at her or you can take examination of your heart. And I realized that, you know what, I was being very insensitive. And so I went to her and I said, you know what, I am sorry I'm so insensitive. I need to learn to just comfort you or just listen. Because she is fully capable of fixing the problem. She is fully capable of dealing with it. But see, I would never have come to that conclusion had I not taken heed to myself. See, the temptation is, is I'm going to go, I'm now the attack's on. I'm going to win. How many know that winning is not always good? Then he goes on and Jesus says this. He, he says, take heed to yourself, period. Then he says, if, if, say it with me, if your brother trespasses against you. If, what does that mean? Not everything your brother does is an offense. Sometimes it might just be your insensitivity or it might be your hypersensitivity. I felt that one. That's like, yeah. He says, if your brother trespass against you, So he's telling us, he says, you know what? You need to make sure this is really an offense. Because if it's not, sometimes, sometimes what it needs, sometimes you just need to drop it. It's like, come on, it ain't that big a deal. It just don't mean nothing. It's nothing. It's zero. It has no merit. He said, but if it is a trespass, then rebuke him. That's what it says. Let me go back. If he trespass against you, Rebuke him. Now, the problem with English is, is that comes off pretty hard, and we like it. Oh, that's it. That gives me open license. I'm going to rebuke you. Come here. I, I did this to Alex Chadsey, but I can't. I can't. I don't. He's teaching. Now, I'm going to just pick on Larry, because Larry's my friend, and, and Larry... Larry. Larry knows me well enough. So if Larry offends me, I could come up and go, hey, Larry, I got a problem with you, buddy. You know what? You're just acting like the... <laughs> I can't do it. I can't say it. You're too, you're too good a guy. I can't do it. I can't... Anyway, that's a rebuke, and we like that. But you know what? In the Greek, the word rebuke is actually, it actually means this, that you go to your brother in grace and in love with the purpose of redemption and peace in mind, and you talk to him kindly. That is rebuke. Think about how Jesus rebukes you. Does he come down and go, hey, idiot? There's been many a time he probably should have said that to me, but he didn't. 
He comes and he says, John, I love you. He, you see, the difference between conviction and condemnation, condemnation is generalized. You are bad. You're no good. You're a failure. You're rotten. Conviction is, I love you, but this area needs to change. That's a rebuke. <laughs> you rebuke him, and then he says, and if he repents, forgive him. And then he goes on and he says, in our text, he says, and if he trespasses against you seven times in a day, then seven times in a day returns and says, I'm sorry, then forgive him. But then he goes on and he says, you know what? You need to increase our faith. That's what the apostles, they they looked at Jesus and go, whoa, that's a tall order right there, man. You need to increase our faith. There's a story, Peter comes to Jesus. I'm winding this down. Jason, you can come if you want. Peter comes to Jesus, and Peter was a spiritual man. And he says to Jesus, he goes, hey, and I can only imagine, I I imagine in my mind that the disciples are probably uh, bugging him a little bit. Peter was an outspoken guy. And, you know, John, you know, John's always the beloved, and, you know, he's, I'm the closest to Jesus, and, you know, all of that stuff. And Peter had enough, and he came to Jesus in Matthew 18, and he says to Jesus, he says, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times? And he's thinking, oh, I'm going to be spiritual, because seven times, that's God's number, and that's got to be enough. And Jesus goes, no, I say to you, seven times 70. And the interesting thing about this is this is the beginning context of a story that Jesus tells. And Jesus tells Peter this story. He says there was a a man that owed a king a lot of money, millions of dollars. And he was unable to pay it. He did not have it, and nor was he going to have it. It was an impossibility to pay the king back. And so the king decided to call the note, and the man was called on account, and he stood before the king. And the king decreed that the man and his wife and his children should be sold, and all that he owned should be sold to pay back the debt. And whatever was left over, they'd have to serve time in prison for. And the man cried out to the king and said, Please have mercy on me. I will try to pay it all back. And the king had mercy on him and said, you owe me nothing. And he wiped the debt clean. He forgave him. He said, you don't owe me anything. You don't owe me anything. That's what forgiving is. You don't owe me nothing. You owe me nothing. I release you. I let you go. So the man goes and he goes into town. I'm sure a load is off his mind, but he catches a guy that owed him a couple dollars. And he says to this man, you better pay me everything you got. And the man says, I don't have it. Please give me time, I'll get it. And the man would not have mercy. And so he commanded that this man should be thrown into prison until the debt was completely paid. Well, the servants of the king saw this and they went back to the king. And so the king commanded that the man would come stand before him again. And he said, you know what? He said, I showed you mercy when you didn't deserve it. And he said, you should have shown mercy to the one that was in your life. And he said, so now, and this is what I want you to pay attention to. He goes, so now what's going to happen is he says, I'm going to rescind my forgiveness 
and now you're going to go to the jail and the tormentors are going to take you. Listen, church, this is what I want you to catch. There's lots in that story you need to catch, but this is in this sermon. When you stay unforgiving, you open the door to tormentors. Some people are tormented in their lives simply because they have refused to forgive. See, what happens is we get under so many different illusions of what forgiveness is that somehow forgiveness means the offender really didn't hurt me or that forgiveness means that they deserve it or that forgiveness means that I've got to trust them again or forgiveness means that I really wasn't hurt and on and on and on and all these different things. But forgiveness means this, that you're letting go and that you're going to set someone free. As I close, there's a story that was told years ago that after her concentration camp experience in Nazi Germany, Cory Ten Boom met face-to-face with one of the most cruel and heartless German guards that she had ever encountered. He had humiliated her and had degraded her and her sister. He had jeered and visually raped them as they stood in the delousing showers. Now, he's standing before her with his outstretched hand saying, will you forgive me? She writes, I stood there with coldness clutching at my heart, but I know that the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. I pray, Jesus, help me. Please, Jesus, help me. So woodenly, And mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one outstretched to me. And I experienced something incredible. The current started in my shoulder and raced down into my arms and sprang into our clutched hands. Then this warm reconciliation seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother. I cried with my whole heart. For a long moment, we grasp each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I have never known the love of God so intensely as I did in that moment. Then she wrote this. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover discover the prisoner was you. Church, I tell you today that there are things that are work at work underneath the surface of our life that create the reality that we live in. And we've got to resist the temptation to skip across the surface. We're going to have to dig in a little bit. And we're going to have to walk in this forgiveness because it is part of our Christianity. And we have to, we have to come to a place where we say, God, I'm going to be like you. We are no more like God than when we are forgiving. They may not deserve it, and it may really hurt. But that is no reason not to forgive. 
and you may have to pray a while. In fact, that's how the Bible describes to us the process. He said, Jesus said, you have heard, it's Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. He says, you have heard it said, hate your en- hate, hate, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. He said, but I say to you, love your enemies. Bless them and do good to them and pray for them that despitefully use you. The quickest way to bring about this sense of forgiveness and release is to pray for the one that you need to forgive. And you'll find that you'll forgive them. It may take a week, it may take a month, it may take a year, and you may have to revisit it from time to time. But if you do it, you'll find that you are the one that is free. Why would you allow someone that much control in your life? when you can be set free. Why don't you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you, Lord, for this revelation. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have given us this word. Lord, that we could walk it out, and I do pray for everyone that is here right now. Lord, that is struggling with that cycle of bitterness that's at some place there. Maybe they've just been hurt. Maybe resentment's rising. Maybe they're in the stage of anger, or maybe they're in full-blown bitterness, Father. Wherever they might be, that they would reach out to this revelation and ask you, God, to help them. Lord, that you would strengthen them to forgive. Lord, that we would learn the art of release. That we, we may not be able to trust anyone in our lives, but Lord, we certainly can trust you. And we can release that one into your hands. And Lord, it may be that we have to work at this a while. And so we ask you, Lord, to give us that stamina to continue to visit this, to take heed of ourselves. What's our contribution? To deal with our baggage, Lord, and to forgive. And Father, we thank you, God, for your goodness. We thank you that you love us and that you have forgiven us. And Lord, we do pray, just as you taught us, we forgive others just as you have forgiven us. And Father, we just give you the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. You can look up at me. I know today that there's not one of us in this room that hasn't felt the the sting of this revelation. But the reality today is you can be free. So I encourage you. I encourage you, take the time to mind this out in your life. Let let yourself be free. Can you say amen? Amen. Stand your feet. Our prayer team is coming. If you have a need of any kind whatsoever, come on up. Let them pray for you. The rest of you, we will see you next week. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. We love you and appreciate you. Thank you for listening to the Praise Chapel Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.